Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello and welcome back to Data Driven, the show where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can consider us Car Talk, because we focus on where the rubber meets the virtual road. And with me, as always, on this epic trip down the information superhighway is everybody's favorite data philosopher, Andy Leonard. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing well, Frank. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing much better than I did when we last spoke. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I've rebuilt uh, my site as much as I can. Um, I did find a, an archive of probably about twelve to eighteen months of posts. Oh wow! Yeah, which is good. Uh, the only problem is that they're all in individual files. Oh. And uh, I have two options. I have the option of kind of doing it kind of by the brute force way, right? Um, or automating it. But it's at that that cusp. You know what I mean? I do. Where it's just enough data where see if it was two, three years, like yeah, obviously it makes sense. But it's just enough to say, should I even bother trying to automate it? Or should I just <laughs> you know just click uh, the button? What? What would that be? Let's see, eighteen months at the rate you've been posting the past eighteen months. That's a lot of posts. That's close to five hundred, I would guess. I think it is. I actually have a spreadsheet where I track all this stuff. Wow. And uh, let's see, 2017 count, 847. So. Wow. And then uh, 585 for 2016. So, I mean, maybe it's not on the cusp after all. <laughs> that sounds like a good candidate for some automation, Frank. It certainly does. You know, maybe I'll look into see how it's possible. Um, now that they, because uh, I, I use Windows Live Writer or uh, Open Live Writer, and they've open sourced that, right. so it's possible the um, the file specification is uh, is available. That would Very be cool. it. Still, would be a pretty big wor- work, though. And it's one of those things where do I focus on the future or do I focus on even the recent past? Is still the past. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I, I. It's a hard call. Yeah. So that drama is still unfolding. Speaking of which, uh, I don't want to turn this into a bash ClearDB show, although I am sorely tempted to do so. Uh, looks like they took down somebody else's site without warning. Oh. Yeah. Darn it. Yeah. And I sent him, uh, I sent him uh, my condolences and a link to the previous episode where we recorded it kind of like as, as it just happened. So, right. That's, um, again, that's kind of sad. And, you know, upon reflecting, I think I even tweeted this, the, um, you know, everything else, you take everything else off the table, and there's a lot on the table, um, they should not have deleted your backups. That's just, that's like the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have been more than happy to pay them the money, even though it was a free service, but that's a right. whole other can of worms. Uh, I would have been happy to get the data back, but... Um, Alas, they deleted everything. So at least they were thorough, right? Yes. <laughs> give them an E for effort. I give them an E for effort. Uh, there's a few other letters I would give them, but let's <laughs> let's let's keep that iTunes rating that we have. Let's do that. Um, so we actually uh, there's a lot going on both Frank's world and Andy's world. Yes. Um, and um, so you may have noticed the posts have kind of slowed down. We are still doing the show. We're still very much enthused and excited about the show. Uh, it's just that crunch time has happened. And uh, it's actually not the first crunch time we've had in our careers. It's just this is the first time we've had it when we didn't have a, a backlog of like a month and a half of posts. Right, right. So, and I mean, on top of that, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of tragedy out there um, with the wildfires and the earthquake in Mexico and the three hurricanes that came through. Um, I don't want to make light of any of it. I promise I'm not. But we actually got impacted by Hurricane Irma. Um, our guest for last week is um, lives in Miami. And she had to evacuate um, the day we were going to record. 
I think she made the right call, evacuating versus doing the show. And so, you know, we, we missed a week. But, um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with that because if you look at what's happened this week uh, since then, this is uh, Tuesday the 26th of September, and uh, right now the Microsoft Ignite conference is going on down in Orlando. And yesterday, uh, I was trying to keep up with the guests that have appeared on Data Driven that had uh, that were doing keynotes and and delivering um, delivering content there and doing interviews and such. And I've counted three. So, and we're only on what day two of the event. So I was I was like, it was kind of funny. It was kind of like I was playing um, like need it, got it, need it, got them. You know, like like we had them on the show. We need them on the show. But I was impressed with the caliber of guests that we've had and and their stature within uh, the community. I mean, it's like you know, I mean we we've had some legends on the show. I mean, Rima, yeah, uh, uh, Kamal. Yeah. Uh, Kamal, if you he has a really awesome um, presentation. Was it um, intelligence in the age of data or something like that? Yeah, I'd have to go look at the site, but it was uh, or BI something to do with BI and the age right. of AI. Um, very interesting presentation, and he did like most of the um, most of the I, I'd call them the leads on the keynotes. Uh, he had a lot of people come out and do demonstrations, and they were pretty cool demos on the uh, the first afternoon of the conference. Um, but yeah, I was doing the same thing. There was a lot of people out there that I was saying, uh, hey, we need to we need to get her on the show. And <laughs> we need to get him. And oh, we've already had um, um, Buck Woody did an interview this morning with uh, with Catherine Wilhelmson, who is a, an MVP roaming reporter there. Um, nice. And I I, Catherine's actually a friend and a co-author on the Bemmel book. Um, she is a Bemmel hero uh, as well. So we totally have to get her on the show. Well, yeah, she's she's just awesome. So yes, we we do. Um, she's traveling an awful lot between. I think like this month, she's uh, she's away from home. Her home in the uh, in the Nordic countries, and um, yeah, she's she's going to be away. We've got a lot coming up. I mean, this is a this is conference season, as you know, Frank. So mm -hmm. you just spent some time, I believe, earlier today um, at a at a, a mini conference, I suppose. Now, why don't you share some about what you learned there? It was awesome. I yeah. was at the uh, Alexa Dev Day, uh, which is, um, you know, not surprisingly, uh, very patterned after the Microsoft Dev Days of old. Uh, and I say not surprisingly because a lot of the uh, people who orchestrated that at, while they were at Microsoft are now at Amazon. Oh, and um, so uh, they they have a great traveling show where they, they get a room, conference room in a hotel, and they they talk about how to develop for Alexa. And it's pretty amazing. Um, it's, it's a lot easier than the documentation made it look. Because when I first looked at it, I was like, okay, uh, there's, there's like two or three moving parts. And once you kind of see somebody walk through it, it's very easy. But um, so it was great. Uh, I actually have a skill that I built this morning, and um, I I haven't published it yet, but um, I, I suspect to do that soon. But it's really cool because you can actually simulate a uh, echo, um, and you can actually test it like there. Um, and there's a there's also a page. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe I'll get to do a uh, online course about it, um, like a Wintelect Now course. Okay. Speaking of which, um, Andy, you know this, but uh, our listeners may not. I created a Wintelect Now course on basically teaching data science for developers. And uh, Jeff Procise, the uh, CEO of Wintelect Now, has decided to make it free for a limited time. So we'll push push that link in there, and you can check it out. So um, you can see kind of some of my special effects kung fu, uh, as well as some of my data science kung fu, which was uh, it was really fun to use the two things I'm passionate about on on the same project. That was that was really cool. Well, I got to watch the video, and I have to recommend it to our listeners. It was it's a it is a really well done uh, video. You know, Frank, you you have a it's you have an obvious passion for this, and that shows through. And what I found was, although I learned some really cool stuff as you were walking through this, and it was elementary type intro to data science type stuff, I still picked up a couple of things. 
But what kept me really engaged was that passion. Yeah, and it's it's fun to be able to kind of combine my passion for kind of video production and 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 data science like in one thing. It was like you know, and and that, I mean that's uh, it's also cool because I mean that's basically the whole point of this show is to assist people who are working as developers or kind of in tra- the traditional data fields, yeah, and expose them to um, data science. Absolutely, yeah, and we do that by I think by bringing a stellar cast of guests. Um, you know, the, the guests we've had recently have been great. Julie was awesome. Julie Smith. And, um, yeah, you know, just a lot of, just a lot of really good, good folks that we've had recently. So. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad we're, we're, well, obviously most of the people that we want to talk to are presenting at, <laughs> <laughs> at Ignite, but there's a lot of cool announcements coming out of Ignite. Did you see the thing about the quantum computing? Yeah, that blew my mind. I actually watched that keynote as it was streamed live. And um, just, just the fact that they put that panel on that stage, uh, I think was, you know, was just very symbolic of where Microsoft's at, where their head's at, um, Satya and the team, and how they're thinking. And it was kind of cool, I thought, too, when they tried to reveal the model and it wasn't there. Of course, you know, if you can determine the location of the quantum computer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can either know where it is or, you know, how fast it's moving. Yeah. So right. it, apparently the Heisenberg principle kicked in and it wasn't there when they first revealed it. It was a little <laughs> bit of a physics joke, I thought. So, I also liked when, uh, I forget his name, but he presented the, the little uh, chipboard to Sacha. Yeah. Uh, for his office. He says, you can have it in your office, but don't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it may not. You may not be able to see it if you look at it. <laughs> right, right, right. You'll ruin you'll ruin the computer if you look at it. Um, and that's actually something I'd love to get as a physicist on on the show to kind of explain quantum computing and and kind of how that works because it's it's you can kind of explain it in an elementary way where sure. the rules in quantum um, physics are not how we would perceive the world. And um, there's actually a great explainer video that I link to on Frank'sWorld.com. Uh, where they kind of talk about that, but basically, instead of having the notion of being a um, a one or a zero, you can have a qubit or a quantum bit right. that can be one and zero. Exactly. And um, it, it, it it there's I still have a lot of questions about kind of like well, what does that mean exactly? How do you how do you program a quantum thing where you don't really know what the results are, or you come up with all results at once? It just seems. Um, uh, there's definitely clearly so, something I'm missing. Um, well, it's counterintuitive. Uh, you know, it really is. Right. And as they announced at um, at Ignite yesterday, they have um, they have a programming language that. And I thought this was fascinating. They're getting people ready to program quantum computers before they exist, at least you know, in the mainstream. So they've got a language based on C sharp. And you see them doing things like, you know, declaring qubits, and you know, it was, right. And I'm like you; I don't understand the. Um, I certainly don't understand the math behind quantum computing. I, um, you know, and I don't understand the physics behind it either. Um, I, I know bits and pieces of it. I can crack jokes about Heisenberg with the best of them. But if you ask me to sit down and explain quantum computing to you, I, I don't think I could do it. I, I do know this, that it takes a, just a handful of qubits uh, to emulate the amount of you know, memory that we have in you know, megabytes, gigabytes, and maybe even terabytes. I mean, it's not an awful lot of memory required uh, in the number of qubits to, you know, to reproduce the amount of memory that we would need to do something, say, at the terabyte level. Right. It, it it is a quantum leap, if you will. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting. Somebody um I won't repeat it, but somebody quoted a uh a, a tweet from a competitor to Microsoft in the data space that said something like, you know, we have this now and that, which is something Microsoft's had for years. And and then underneath that they said, you know, the Microsoft quote back was Great, we're working on quantum computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
there, there was actually an, another interesting video online where they did a, it. It was it was billed as an unboxing of a quantum computer. Interesting. And uh, it really wasn't because uh, it, it basically they needed the quantum computer was actually relatively small. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the cooling units to keep it at a temperature where it would work. Oh, I see. Uh, were a hundred times bigger than it. So like he had a he, he showed you like well. He opened the door kind of in a dramatic fashion, and it was like, hey, is this the quantum computer? No, this is a cooling unit. Oh. Is this? No, this is the backup cooling unit. And then a couple of things to that, then he actually shows you where the quantum computer was. Oh, okay. Uh, it was pretty cool, actually. It was um, it was interesting. I think it was D-Wave. D-Wave has um, made a few. But I think it's interesting that this came about now in terms of in the time of the cloud, if you will, um, because no one for the foreseeable future – uh, is going to have a quantum computer, quantum chip inside their next desktop or laptop, right? Or phone. You know, it it makes sense for the near term to have that um, in the cloud. Well, sure, you're going to need a really uh, big fan to keep it at uh, four Kelvin. Right, right, and that's that's cold. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it it has some interesting potential. I know that um, uh, one of the things it can do. Uh, is factor prime numbers faster than uh, we've ever had been able to do that before. Interesting. Which uh, can wreak all kinds of havoc for encryption. That's true. Uh, if you'll be able to break keys that would normally take you know decades or centuries, um, potentially in minutes, wow. if not if not instantaneously. Of course, at the quantum level, I guess what is time really? True. Um. They, um, there was rumors of circling around because I live in the D.C. area. Um, the NSA published a recommendation for updating encryption standards. And whenever they publish anything, everyone kind of looks around at each other. It's like, well, what do they know? That? <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the speculation that came out was, um, this was maybe even two or three years ago, and they said, well, it, somebody... If I can find the article, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Was basically said something to the effect of, you know, maybe this is in preparation for quantum computing, and they expect some kind of breakthrough in the next five to ten years. Interesting. And um, you know, certainly what we've seen, kind of, you know, announcing that they have a quantum computer, and now they're starting to, you know, there's an emulator in Visual Studio that could be that could be very interesting. Yeah, um, totally agree. Um, and you have to assume that some state sponsored organizations probably already have working quantum computers by now or, or some, some fashion thereof. Very fascinating um, tech. In fact, you know, one of the things that, that, that was really amazing about uh, Ignite. So Ignite is the, um, uh, the rebrand, the gritty, you know, not the gritty, but um, it's the, um, the reimagining, I guess, of tech ed. And, um, it really feels like a completely different Microsoft. I know that's like the hip thing to say, right? Everything, everything that they do is completely different than before. But I mean, it's definitely much more, um, um, future focused because tech ed was always about historically was about, you know, the future focused stuff was done at PDC Mm -hmm. professional developers conference. And then the, the existing stuff, uh, tech ed was meant for implementers today, you know, the enterprise uh, type folks. Right. Whereas now I think those, those, those lines are blurred um, much more so than they had been. And um, I, I just, uh, I'm really eager to get my hands on some of the, the, the live streaming sessions and watch all of them. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the reason the lines are blurred is, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly seeing the technology, um, the pace of technology release accelerate. And I was trying to describe it uh, earlier to uh, my son, my older son. And I was telling him, you know, it used to kind of go along at a nice, easy little clip. It was just straight line, but it was trending upwards. And I said, now it's getting a little bit more of an acceleration to it. It's looking exponential. And it makes me wonder, um, just based on the stuff that I saw in the keynotes, uh, is it going geometric? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't know. It may. It's definitely, you know, I can totally see that. I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, a whole, whole push for DevOps, um, 
and continue, you know, the continuous integration. I mean, I think a lot of that speaks to the fact that in the past you only had to speak to, you know, the integration folks like once or twice a year. (laughs) If you spoke to them once a quarter, that was a lot. Uh, now that integrations happen in large part, thanks to things being web-based and cloud-based, I mean, you could have theoretically an implementation every hour and there's, probably even more iterations than that. Although you probably get a point of diminishing returns in terms of practicality. That's true. But you know, the more, um, the more code automation that we see, the more auto generation and and that sort of stuff. I I don't know, Frank, I mean, we might see literal continuous integration uh, in our lifetimes. I can see that. I, I mean, technically, and there's no reason why you couldn't do it. The yeah. the only thing I question is, okay, at what point does it become meaningless or, you know, it's one thing to say that you're running, you know, this, you know, the build that was deployed this week yeah. versus the build that was deployed five minutes ago or 15 minutes ago. True. <laughs> True. There's a, I think there's a limit. There's an upper limit. It has nothing to do with the technology. I think it has more to do with kind of the practical things of, well, you know, this crashed on me. Well, what, what build are you using? Well, I tried it like five minutes ago. I'll try it again, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's a good thing because, you know, things could get fixed faster. But I also think that um, it could be that, that's confusing. True. That's true. Well, you know, you know, Frank, how I like to pick on uh, people who work at Microsoft a little bit for the way they speak their own language, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they use ask as a noun, for instance. Yes. What is your specific ask? That's it. So, but I, I have to say I'm super excited about something <laughs> that that was released at uh, at Ignite yesterday. They announced SSIS as a service. Yeah. So w- what is that now? Sisyphus? Sisyphus? We're getting close to Sassafras, I think. Sassafras. Sassafras. So, yes, SSIS as a service. It's in public preview. Um, And this is kind of an idea that um, one of our earlier guests, he didn't mention it on the show, but we've been batting this back and forth for, gosh, half a decade, is this idea that Microsoft could put data integration in the cloud with SSIS um, if if they wanted to. There's some some limitations to running the current version of SSIS that every enterprise runs in the cloud, and that is that there's a requirement that there's a relational engine uh, license on the machine uh, where SSIS executes. So you can run in the development environment all day long and everything's just fine. But as soon as you try to schedule a package execution, say using a SQL agent job, um, that's when things get a little hairy, That that engine goes and checks to see, is there a relational engine license here? So, you know, Microsoft made a pretty big deal out of this, and I think it's true that SSIS is free. You buy SQL Server, you get SSIS. But I like to describe it as free, and I'm doing the quotey signs in the air here. (laughs) It's free. But if they run it as a service, um, I imagine they've got to, you know, they've either disabled that piece or, or what, and it's it's some very interesting opportunities, um, I think, there. I, for instance, the, um, the Dataflow pipeline is an asynchronous engine. And it's kind of just begging for something like REST, you know? Right. So it, it's kind of already ready. And it's been that way, Frank, for 12 years. I've been screaming about this. You know, hey. make. So they finally listened to your feedback. No, I'm sure they didn't. <laughs> I'm sure they ran out of other stuff to think of, and they finally thought, well, hey, what about, what about that? You remember that old FedEx commercial where everybody's sitting around the boardroom and some, you know, some engineer says, hey, we could use FedEx. And, you, and then everybody kind of sitting there still thinking, and the boss says, I know, we'll use FedEx. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's me. I'm that guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. No, I, I think it's a great idea. I'm sure I wasn't the only person to uh, to see that and kind of put that together. And um, right. so Kevin Hazard should be uh, should be happy. In fact, I need to send him that link. I'm sure he's seen it by now. But uh, one of our former guests, another of our former guests, Julie Smith, actually sent me the link and said, hey, check this out. Um, Azure Data Factory version 2 
is uh, is coming out, and it's going to do a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And that was one of them. That's really cool. It's 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 also interesting to note how focused this ignite has been on data. Yeah, I mean it's it's data everywhere now. I, you know, my first thought was, well, maybe that's just me because you know I'm, now all I see is data. But um, there's hardly any mention mention of like you know client kind of dev or anything like that. At least so far. I mean it's still going on, but I think the focus on data is very telling in terms of um, the state of the industry and the state of Microsoft. It absolutely is, and you know I'm no expert on people or anything, but one thing that I've noticed in a few times I've heard Satya speak is he signals, (laughs) you know, he's pretty good about telegraphing um, where things are going. And I I actually made notes while I was listening yesterday um, on the 25th. And he started by talking about mixed reality, which is, I guess, the Microsoft terminology for augmented reality. And that's fine. Um, We don't need to get into a contest over trademarks and terminology. Um, but they mentioned mixed reality, graph, um, AI first was another one. And then there was a, a, you know, a bunch of talk around business application automation, uh, focusing on dynamics and integration with Office 365, um, a big push on apps and infrastructure and how data and AI enable that. <clears throat> and, you know, it's, uh, gosh, and then, of course, the, the panel on quantum computing. And and so those were kind of the, that was the list of things that I hit the topics that I wrote down, listening to Satya's talk. And, um, you know, that's interesting, especially, I think the one that caught my mind and we haven't talked about too much yet is AI first. I heard that a few times. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think a lot like the, the nineties where it was put the web everywhere. I think now there's a, I think there's an emphasis in, in terms of making applications smarter by putting AI everywhere. That that fits. I mean, that fits. And there's, it's they've built the infrastructure in such a way that it's just begging for integration. Right. Uh, and so, I, you know, that's something I've, and I've said this on the show before. Microsoft gets very little credit for um, how well they do systems integration and platform integration. But they, you know, they do that extremely well. I would, I would venture to say they do that better than any other company their size. Yeah, I could say that. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. So. What's interesting too was the the continual use of the term data estate. I heard that too, and that was the first time I'd heard that phrase. Yeah, me too. And and they kept saying, "Take care of your data estate," and that. It's funny because it, it's almost like um, it's very serendipitous. Like you know, uh, I subscribe to uh, Curiosity Stream. I think I was telling you about this. Yeah. Um, and Curiosity Stream is basically Netflix for nerds. It's all documentaries, all science stuff. Uh, there's actually uh, we don't have an affiliate re- relationship with them, unfortunately. <laughs> but they are good enough that I would recommend them as if we did. Um, because they have really good documentaries about data. Mm. Uh, there's one called The Joy of Data, which is an excellent show. And then there's The Human Face of Data. And there's a number of other ones, too. I mean, my sons love it because there's stuff about dinosaurs and things like that. Cool. Um, but there's actually a um, a series of documentary. Um, and I think the presenter from that is a professor at Columbia who was also presented uh, one of the classes for the data science cert. I recognize his name. Huh. Uh, he looks a little different because it's like 10 years ago. But um, So the context is called The Ascent of Money. On uh, the context of the documentary series, uh, it's four shows, I think. And it basically happened. Uh, they recorded it just as the financial markets were imploding. And they were taking kind of a long view of, well, how did we get here? Um, and it was very fascinating where they talked about kind of the rise of um, of um, power of the merc- mer- mercantile class, right. um, and kind of in the last, you know, the the what we would call the industrial revolution, you you had the you had the landed gentry, uh, and then land was power, 
right? Because you grew food on it, and that was basically, you know, whoever owned the land was the, the lord of the kingdom or the lord of the fiefdom. Right. Um, and that continued from the Middle Ages, at least in Europe, until, you know, probably mid-1800s. And then there was a point where a lot of these uh, arist- aristocratic types basically spent more than they were earning because the prices of agriculture was going down uh, with advancements in that technology. Uh, and they just did not adjust or adapt. And then it ended up being that bankers were kind of on the rise. Um, and I think that's interesting that they call it the data estate because, of course, a state is usually where you know these these people would live and it, it was the land it was you know that was their main means of income right. and um i think it's interesting to note that you know we went from kind of the landed gentry to uh as part of an agricultural economy to uh more of a capital based economy with with banking right. uh to now are we in the midst of another shift from kind of money as power to information and data as power and it's a. Uh, I thought the use of that data estate was a very curious uh, turn of phrase. You know, I agree, Frank. And I, you know, we we know because we see these announcements coming out every day. We get to talk to people as part of this show who are on the cutting edge and doing amazing things. I think about our interview with Lynn Langan months ago. Yeah, where she was talking about the stuff that's going on with data science. Uh, applied to bioinformatics, and that's literally going to change the world. Um, yep, it, it is already. You got a really cool story in there about one guy whose whose life was saved by by data science and bioinformatics. Um, right, and that we're going to see those kinds of impacts all you know all around us. I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of positive stories like that. But as you and I are both well aware. And as being engineers, uh, paranoia is a skill, actually, in this field. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trained uh, paranoids. And, you know, when we think about the shift that's coming, it's the thing that worries me is the unknown, is the unknown uh, side effects, the unforeseen negative consequences, um, you know, the, and, and that sort of stuff. And we know they're out there. And we see people talking about things like the basic economy, you know, uh, being able to provide some level of, um, I don't know the right term to use, but basically. Universal basic income, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is fraught with a lot of, um, I think the intentions of people who promote that are, are well-intentioned. Yeah. But that is fraught with so many, so many, um, so many <laughs> problems with that. I mean, you are essentially relying 100% on the state to take care of you. Right. Um, and you, you can debate whether or not that's a good thing on and of its own. But I mean, at some point um, in the future, it's not hard to imagine that, you know, oh, we use facial recognition. And uh, Mr. Jones, you showed up at this protest. Um if you have if you have the means to do this, then you know. I mean, or vice versa. You didn't show up at this rally, right? And um, I mean, that's just. I mean, that's basically. I mean, that's inviting it because you're basically taking away people's ability to support themselves. Right. And not that the, you know people could support themselves in defiance of the state so much, but I mean, it 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 makes you wholly dependent on the state as opposed to partially dependent. But I see this, I I really see this as a reaction to the automation that we see going on around us and, you know, the threat to, um, to, to middle income jobs. And, you know, and it's certainly as the robots um, get better at at actuating, um, you know, the, the lower income jobs that, you know, the McDonald's uh, has fewer people here in Farmville because they've got the machine that does the drinks for you automatically. And, and that's right. a robot. The Walmart needs less people at checkout because they've got the self-checkout area now. And, and again, they, it, as, as I did in that data point up at Inner Harbor, Maryland, when I looked at the parking uh, machine, the parking attendant, if you will, um, right. the, the robots are not going to look like you know, what movies have portrayed, they're going to look like these automated kiosks and the checkout line and the drink machine at McDonald's. Um, Those are the ones coming for jobs and they're knocking jobs off. They're picking them off one at a time uh, to do that. So, 
I think that's why someone's looking at, you know, people are thinking about, all right, so what do we do? How do we take care of these people that, you know, aren't uh, going to be able to find work? What do we do for them? Well, and the other thing is, too, is, you know, how do you, what's the tax structure going to look like in the future? I mean, let's pretend robots do everything. And you provide people with a universal basic income. Where does that money come from? Are you taxing the robots? Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's kind of, I mean, but I mean, at some point though, I don't think that people have really worked out what that's going to look like. You know, I mean, at some point, isn't it like, you know, you're plugging in an extension cord into itself. Like, doesn't, I mean, doesn't the money meet have be meaningless at that point, you know, where it's like, well, what are you going to tax the robots? You're going to take the money away from the robots. Okay. Well, yeah. Like what? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work out. That'll be very interesting. I, I agree um, with you. I mean, just as just as kind of the rise of capital uh, over the rise of of the agricultural based economy, uh, you know, agriculture being the source of power, the rise of capital being power led to new philosophies of government, you know, like um, communism, probably being the most obvious in terms of its 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 reaction against that. Yeah. I wonder what the reaction against one, what new economic models are going to, we're going to see in the next 50 to a hundred years. Yeah. And what are the reactionary economic models? Because every economic model has winners and has losers. Yeah. Some have more winners, some have more losers. Um, And um, if you look at kind of the history in the last hundred years, things didn't work out the way that the, idealists and philosophers thought they would right. at all. Um, and um, I don't know. It, it's it's going to be an interesting play because this level of disruption, you know, literally changed the world the last time we saw it. And I think we're going to see that even more so now. I agree. And I think we may see uh, these gaps kind of closing, right? And how long it takes for the next level of disruption to take place. So there's a... Um, there's an awful lot of pent up demand, I think, for the automation that's that's making its way into the mainstream right now. And I look for well, that. Ironically, I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I think ironically, um, a lot of the drive in fast food, um, that type of industry, is driven by the push for those workers to get more money. Well, exactly. Um, you know, and um, you know, so I was last uh, last fall. I was up in New Jersey, and uh, I went to Quick Check. It was a convenience store chain based in New Jersey. And I used to, when I lived up there, I used to go there all the time. I was amazed when I walked in there, and there was basically one person working the entire store, huh. um, because everything was automated. Wow. Now. You know, can can I pin that directly on certain legislation that might have been in that that jurisdiction about uh, minimum wage laws? I can't directly prove it, but you know, uh, where those laws seem to go into place, the, the automation seems to happen faster. Well, I you know I agree with that, and I'm not trying to be morbid, and I'm definitely not trying to be political here. But if you think about what it is that's holding things back or keeping automation in check. Automation can be expensive, but if you right. double the minimum wage, what you've done also at the same time is you've cut the barrier to automation in half. Right. At least that that economic barrier. And again, probably very well intentioned people. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, and that's the other thing too is um, now. Th- it's interesting, too, because you can, you can kind of throw up your arms in the air and say, oh, it's over. Robots are going to take over the world. The other thing is somebody has to build those automated kiosks. Exactly. Someone has to write the software. Someone has to fix them. I think the problem, and I think we're seeing this built up, pent up over many years, kind of falling apart, at least in the U.S., is we sent out, we sent away a lot of our manufacturing jobs, right. which were kind of, I would call, medium skill jobs. Yep. We as Mike Rowe would say, you know, we we sneered upon the tradesmen. Yeah. And tradeswomen. Um and we've glorified this notion of 
getting a college degree yeah. as the only way uh, forward. And I think this is this is an unintended consequence of that. You know, uh, sending everyone to college was a very noble thought, but the unintended consequence is well, we've gotten rid of all our manufacturing jobs, so you really only have two types of jobs: low skill and high skill. Yeah. And that leaves a lot of people in the middle. Um, I mean, you can always, you can always, I guess, skill down. It's easier to skill down than to skill up. So a lot of these folks are reliant on really low-skilled jobs that they probably are overqualified for, but they're not qualified enough to be in a high-skill job. Yeah. So we've kind of put ourselves like tangled in a pretzel position and... And and the answer is not to pull and keep doing more of the same. I mean, that's the definition of ins- uh, of insanity, yeah. uh, according to an old Chinese proverb. But you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. And you know, the 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 way out, I think, is not the way we got in. I think the way out is going to be very, not only non-intuitive, but maybe counterintuitive. And I certainly don't have any answers about it. I've got mostly questions, but I think they're really good questions. I think questions are good, though, because the questions help you question the status quo. The status quo is, well, you know, if Johnny makes, you know, minimum wage and Johnny can't afford basic necessities on minimum wage, Johnny needs to, you know, minimum wage needs to be raised, which is all, you know, I can see that line of thinking. But the the problem with that is that, um, you know, if minimum wage, you know, the 99 cent dollar menu uh, you know, the dollar menu items are no longer going to be a dollar if the cost of labor goes up artificially. Right. I don't know. It's I don't have the answers either. I just, you know, I just don't think that um, how we got into this situation, like you said, is not how we're going to get out. Yeah. yeah, we can't back out of this because you can't put the genie back in the bottle. No, no. And this just says nothing about kind of the other things that AI is going to bring about in terms of, you know, if you rely on AI to figure out crime or those sorts of things, there's all sorts of um, ethical problems with that in terms of how, how do the machine learning models get taught? What's the training data going to be on? Right. Are they going to draw assumptions that are not necessarily true? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's lies, damn lies and statistics. Exactly. Um, you know, and you hear and, minds like Elon Musk worrying about, you know, what happens with automation. I'm right there with him, and I'm not trying to just be paranoid about it. I already see, you know, clients using the new shiny, um, you know, machine learning, deep learning, and and the like. And and I saw them even before this, Frank, um, doing this with advanced business intelligence solutions. And and now what you can do is you can put in, uh, you know, put in your guesses at the, at the levers and the weights and the measures and you fire it off and it builds you a report well, where before it may take you days or weeks to get the results and and now it takes you just seconds and if those results are wrong and you're making decisions based on those then that's right. that's one level uh, of issues that can be dealt with but what if the decision making is automated that 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 to me crosses a very dangerous Same line here, and I think that's what Musk is talking about. I'm right there with him. Um, it's it's again, it's the question of actuators, right? Now, Kevin Hazard, uh, in in some private offline conversations, he's <laughs> that's his concern. He's like, what happens when we improve actuators? What what happens when the machines can act on what they believe, on what they've decided in real life? And it's not that machines are evil; they're doing what they think. Uh, they've been. Well, they're actually doing exactly what they've been programmed to do. They're not thinking at right. all. We've thought. We've put stuff in, and we are extremely fallible, Frank. If engineering teaches you nothing else, you know, it teaches you just just how how fallible we are. I mean, Frank, you're a software developer, data scientist. When's the last time you wrote a line of code? Or let me put it this way, just just realistically, when's the last time you wrote a dozen lines of code? push the play button in the development environment and had it do exactly what you wanted it to do in every use case. And when that does happen, I'm very <laughs> suspicious of what did I not catch? Uh, yeah. But the other thing too, is that, and I don't think anyone has really kind of pondered this, um, is 
it's the Heisenberg effect, right? Going back to the quantum thing, although this has nothing to do with quantum computing. So there was a cartoon going around, and it was basically a bunch of soccer players, football players for everyone in the rest of the world. And they were huddled up before a game, and they said, you know, uh, we have all this data and analytics about what they do based on the last four games that our opponent has played, so let's let's do this. Right? So it's kind of like the fact that you are aware of these patterns, does that change the patterns? Wow. Particularly in, in behavioral things, right? So if you did, like, say, you know, sports team is a great example. If you knew that they were going to kick the ball in this situation – or or pass it or you know throw it uh, depending on the sport um in these situations then you can prepare a um a defense against that or you you can alter that or you know then it also becomes well that's what they're expecting us to do so let's not do that i mean it's a very I and mean, that already happens i mean a lot of these professional teams uh, they they spend the time between games um you know reviewing videotapes and things like right. that but um, but to have it automated and have it done in seconds as opposed to hours or weeks, I think changes the games because you, you, you bring down that time of iteration. Well, I don't know, Frank. I mean, let's let's kind of put this into another realm. Let's think about um, you because you mentioned velocity, you know, knocking mm-hmm. things down to seconds from weeks or day, days, or weeks or months. I mean, it's not like social media has impacted um, the way we treat each other and how we get along as a culture and society, right? Or international relations. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the velocity of communications, right, without having that air gap and, and, and just something to, right. you know, just time. That, that's, all, that's all that's changed, really, is the amount of time. And yeah. No, that's true. I was being sarcastic. So, I, I apologize. I <laughs> But I mean, it, I mean, it's just these are just the interesting things that 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 come up, and uh, you know, and this is just two dudes talking. Yeah. I mean, you know, what happens when you get a board, you know, a, um, a round table of PhDs types, or you know, Doctor Strange love types, you know, yeah, planning things, both good and bad. You know, sure. what are they going to think up? You yeah, know? I mean, and. and- you know, it can be completely innocent. And this is exactly what we're talking about. And I think this is what Musk is worried about and others as the unintended right. consequences. Yeah. And, and if I think Elon Musk has a good reason to be afraid. Yeah. And so do we all, actually. I, I think so. And that's a good title. We should call this show that. Elon Musk has very good reasons to be afraid of AI. I, think we have <laughs> I do. Great. Well, this was a good talk, Frank. I really enjoyed this. I'm sorry our guest it really was. Sorry our guest was impacted by the uh, by the hurricane, and um, I'm really glad we had a chance to to get together. You know, something else has happened since we last chatted. Um, I believe we've crossed the twenty thousand uh, downloads uh, mark. We have. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you for listening and- to us. And thank you for putting up with us uh, in this the recent kind of um, <laughs> quiet time. Uh, it's been it's been quite a, a rush, and we're certainly glad that our, uh, our guest has you know, survived the hurricane. Okay, yep, and she did fine. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to those in Puerto Rico for sure. Absolutely. Um, and um, it's. Uh, that's actually something I did uh, a, a, a quick data point on was data and disasters. Yeah. You know, um, as bad as these disasters are, you know, we have the ability to kind of go back and analyze what happened and 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 build stronger buildings or, you know, talk about the Titanic data set being kind of the canonical um, thing on Kegel yep. for training data models. Well, you know, it, it's good for that sort of stuff. Because um, we can learn from the past. Uh, that's definitely true. Um, one, of, one, of my, uh, one of my heroes, Nassim Taleb, says uh, we can't learn everything from the past. He keeps talking about black swans. And he has a new book coming out early next year, by the way. Um, oh, really? Wait, He's been posting, like, screenshots of appendices and stuff on Twitter. And, um, my goodness, I just... Just reading a couple of pages gets me all giggly inside. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Black Swan is a great book. It is. And, you know, the way he talks about um, that and at the, you know, all throughout Anna Fragile, I listened to the audio book, re-listened to the audio book a few months ago. And, and, you know, uh, applying that thinking into data science, I think would do us a world of good. Um, But he, you know, he's, he does not play the buzzwords game. um, And he, he's, I don't know, he's a little rough around the edges, as we say in Fumble. He is rough around the edges. Actually, uh, so if his stuff's available as an ebook, then we have a surprise for folks, don't we? We do. You can go subscribe to audible.com. You can do a free 30-day trial at thedatadrivenbook.com, and you can go listen to Anti-Fragile, just like I did, by Nassim Nicholas Taylor. And it's a great book. And um, we highly recommend that you go check that book out and other books on data science. In fact, Frank, you recommended Lars Nielsen's book to me, Unicorns Among Us. Um, gosh, yep. that was about a year ago, I guess. And I listened to it. I think so, yeah. yeah I listened to that book. It's a fantastic book. A good overview of data science. About two hours on Audible. Um, the, thedatadrivenbook.com. Yeah, definitely check it out. And um, if you subscribe from that, uh, eventually we'll get a uh, commission. And not only will you make your commutes more manageable uh, and yourself smarter, but you'll help support the show. Awesome. It's a win-win situation. I think so. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. And um, be sure to be on the lookout for some new content as we do have new guests lined up. uh, And uh, a few of them are on the Amazon ecosystem. They are, and we won't say much more about that. Also, check out our mailing list. You go to datadriven.tv and uh, become a data driver. Uh, We'd be happy to let you know ahead of everyone else who our guests are going to be. Excellent. You folks have a great week. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen, become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.